Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver. And today we'll be talking about two of the biggest fights that occurred this past Saturday night. I will give my prediction for the amazing, the outstanding light heavyweight title fight we have Saturday night between Dimitri Bivol and Gilberto Zuldo Ramirez. Another Q&A session. Um, I'll answer two questions from two of probably my two most loyal listeners. And then I will read my bio on the 18th greatest fighter of the last 45 years in my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years uh how do you say it 45 years um rankings uh, i've been doing a series of articles that i've been reading here on the pound for pound podcast on the 45 greatest Fighters of the last 45 years. Today, number 18, I'll be reading on the Golden State, Bay Area, Oakland legend, the son of God, Andre Ward. But first, let's talk about Saturday night's fights. First, both fights occurred in the lightweight division. Both fights, you know, four good to excellent fighters in the lightweight division. First off, William Cepeda with an outstanding performance as he out-hustled, out-boxed, and out-slugged Jojo Diaz to win a convincing and dominating 12-round decision. William Cepeda is a tough out for anybody in the lightweight division, even the two guys that I consider the top of the food chain in Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson. William Cepeda would give Lomachenko hell. He would give Raleigh the Rapist Romero hell. He would give Tank Davis hell. William Cepeda, William Cepeda would be a live underdog against any of those fighters. He beat a very solid fighter in Jojo Diaz. I look forward to seeing Cepeda finally face some of the best lightweights in the world today. He proved himself against Jojo Diaz. Now it's time for him to step into the fire and try to face. You know what would be a great fight would be him versus the guy who I thought should have gotten a, a, a better, better, better scorecard. From the three clowns that scored the fight. And we go to the fight that happened at the theater in Madison Square Garden. Vasily Lomachenko versus Jermaine Ortiz. First and foremost. I know I'll be talking about him later on in Andre Ward. And I always said that today. Of all the active color commentators. Andre Ward's the best. Andre was drinking that fucking top rank ESPN ESPN Bob Aram Kool-Aid Saturday night as him, Joe Tessitore, and Tim Bradley kissed Vasily Lomachenko's ass from before the bell rang till when the fight ended. I don't know what the fuck they were looking at. Vasily Lomachenko is done. 
All right? He got hit at will against Jermaine Ortiz. All right? How did one judge... I mean, you had two judges. One judge gave Lomachenko nine rounds. Another judge gave him eight rounds. I had to fight dead even. Six rounds apiece, 114-114. Jermaine Ortiz won three of the first four rounds on my scorecard and won six of the first nine rounds on my scorecard. All right? I gave Lomachenko rounds 10, 11, and 12. And I scored it a draw. Now, 115-113, one of the judges had for Lomachenko. I can't argue with that scorecard because rounds three and rounds rounds three and nine could have gone either way. They were razor thin. Depends on what you're looking at. Either round could have gone to Lomachenko. If that's the case, seven rounds to five, I'm not going to argue. But nine rounds to three? No way Lomachenko won nine rounds. Eight rounds to four? No way Lomachenko won eight rounds. And the way Bradley, Ward, and Testator were talking about Lomachenko, you would think that he was Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali, and Floyd Mayweather wrapped into one fighter. Vasily Lomachenko, while he's had a great career, is not a pimple on Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, and Floyd Mayweather's ass. All right? I'm sick and tired. Of ESPN, who had him pound for pound, the best fighter in the world. Vasily Lomachenko was never the best fighter in the world. All right? Let's stop the bullshit. All right? Let's stop it. And then Ring Magazine had the nerve to have him coming into this fight. And other publications, top 10, pound for pound. When Shakur Stevenson and Stephen Coolboy Fulton and Devin Haney aren't in the top 10. And you know what? The Ring Magazine editor-in-chief... Doug Fisher had the nerve to tell me, oh, well, uh, they don't have the resume Lomachenko has. I don't give a fuck about a resume. Lomachenko right now is not on the level of those guys. He's not as good. Let's stop the bullshit. Lomachenko at 34 is past his prime. He got a gift decision Saturday night. I thought the fight was a draw. No way in the world he won nine rounds or eight rounds. Now he's scheduled to fight Devin Haney. Devin Haney is going to embarrass Vasily Lomachenko because Ortiz, like Teo Lopez, landed the jab and right cross at will against Vasily Lomachenko. Devin Haney is a master boxer, a master counterpuncher. He is going to have his way against Vasily Lomachenko when they fight next spring. And then finally, like I mentioned several times on this podcast, we will have one of the great lightweight super fights of all time, two master boxers next fall, Devin Haney versus Shakur Stevenson. Put it in the books. Only way Lomachenko could beat Devin Haney is if Devin Haney breaks a hand while they fight. Lomachenko is not the same fighter that he was four years ago. If you look at his resume as a lightweight, he has struggled. Jorge Linares knocked him down. Teo Lopez kicked his ass. And Jermaine Ortiz hit him as many times as he wanted to. And he struggled against Richard Comey. All right. Lomachenko is not the fight, same fight at 135 that he was at 126 and 130. Let's stop overrating this guy. All right? Is he a Hall of Fame if I had a vote? And if he retired today, I'd, I'd vote him in the Hall of Fame. But he's not one of the greatest fighters of all time. Let's stop the bullshit. I want to see Jermaine Ortiz in more high-profile fights. He has proven in his last two fights that he, like a William Cepeda, 
is a live dog. Anytime he steps in the ring with one of the elite lightweights. I would love to see Jermaine Ortiz versus a Tank Davis, a Raleigh the Rapist Romero, a Frank Martin, a Mitchell Rivera. One of the lightweight division is packed right now. It's loaded. Let's get these guys fighting. And I'm glad that Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson are willing to fight anybody at 135 pounds. So when they do fight each other next fall, it would be well-deserved and it be one of the great lightweight super fights of all time. Think about it this way. Devin Haney versus Shakur Stevenson would be like seeing Pernell Whitaker fight Floyd Mayweather in their respective primes. That's how great Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson are. Now, on to my prediction for this Saturday night. I believe he's the WBA champion. I try not to... uh... Oh, another thing that pissed me off. This wasn't a title fight, yet Andre Ward... Oh, this is Jermaine O'T's first uh, championship rounds and Lomachenko's 87th championship round. It's not a championship fight, Andre. Why are you drinking the Bob Arum top-ranked ESPN Kool-Aid? It's ridiculous. Oh. Before I continue uh, uh, with my prediction, here's a quick recap of Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva. Okay, now my prediction for Saturday night. I've got Dimitri Baval, who doesn't lose rounds, while Zerdo Ramirez did struggle in his um, fights versus... What's my brother? Uh, Jesse Hart. All right. Dimitri Bavol is a much better fighter. He is. Uh, he doesn't lose rounds. He's got one of the best jabs in boxing today. Behind that jab and incredible ring IQ, I've got Bavol winning a convincing 12 round decision Saturday night in what will be, what will probably, no, will not probably be, will be the toughest fighter's career. And. If Bavall wins like I expect him to, he will get my vote for 2022 Fighter of the Year. So I got Bavall winning by decision. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the Q&A portion of the program. And for those who want me to answer their questions, um, hashtag AskRobSilva on Twitter. Okay. First question is from my brother Malcolm, who every week is not only one of my, if not the most loyal listener, gives me great, great fucking questions. And no different this week. He talked, he, he writes, you talked about Mark Breland not really panning out like his amateur years. Give me five greats in the amateurs who didn't make the transition when they turned pro. Now, Malcolm, you and I do not do research. Everything we do when we talk boxing, when we talk sports, period, is off the top of our head. Because Malcolm, like myself, has a computer for a brain when it comes to sports, uh, black, black history, boxing, music, etc. Malcolm and I have a lot in fucking common. That's why I love the brother. Malcolm, five... Amateur greats that did not pan out 
in the pros like expected. First one off the top of my head, 1988 Olympic gold medalist, 1988 Val Barker Award for the best boxer in the Olympics, and he was. He was phenomenal. Paul Gonzalez. Paul Gonzalez had a great career as an amateur, winning gold, winning the best, the Val Barker Best Boxer Award at the 1988 Olympics. That's the award that Howard Davis won back in 1976. Well, as a pro, he never won a world title. Uh, he defeated future world champion Orlando Canizales early in career, but then when he finally faced Canizales, when Canizales was the IBF Bantamweight champion, Canizales smoked his ass in the rematch. Gonzalez lost, lost his next fight, and then he retired. And now, I believe uh, he's uh, under indictment for being a serial pedophile. Fucking piece of shit Paul Gonzalez is. So, there you go. Paul Gonzalez, one of the five, if not the most, disappointing pro career from a legendary amateur career. So, Paul Gonzalez. Another one is Jerry Page. 1984 welterweight gold medalist for the United States. <laughs> that great Olympic team that had Evander Holyfield, Meldrick Taylor, Pernell Whitaker, Terrell Biggs. Incredible class. Virgil Hill, Frank Tate. What a fucking class. Well, Jerry Page did nothing as a pro boxer, did nothing, had a brief career, and uh, wound up into a, a oblivion. Um, I think he has a job, I'm, I'm not sure if it's in the athletic department, in uh, Clinton High School here in New York City. All right. Uh, that, uh, no, I'm not Clinton High School, Curtis High School in New York City. I'm thinking off the top of my head. Curtis, not Clinton, not Clinton, Curtis, Curtis High School. So we have Paul Gonzalez, and we have, of course, Jerry Page. Another fighter that did not pan out, and he might take the cake. I said Paul Gonzalez, but Shunga Ray Sales. Shung, I was there, 1972, Munich, Germany. Shunga Ray Sales, the lone American gold medalist. He was going to be the next great Sugar Ray Seals. But no. What happened to Sugar Ray Seals? He ran into marvelous Marvin Hagler. They drew once and Hagler beat the hell out of him two other times. Including a first round knockout. By the marvelous man from Brockton, Massachusetts. Sugar Ray Seals. While he was a great amateur. Had a disappointing pro career. Every time he stepped up at middleweight, he lost. Especially when he fought the marvelous one, Marvin Hagler. So, so far, we've talked about three American amateur greats that were very disappointing as a professional. Another one, 1984 gold medalist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Terrell Banks. My father and I actually thought Biggs had a shot at beating Mike Tyson when he got his only heavyweight championship of the world uh, opportunity, October of 1987, because Biggs could move, and he had a tremendous left jab. 
Mike ripped him from pillar to post in what I consider Mike Tyson's greatest performance of his professional career, batted him into a seventh-round knockout, and Biggs was never the same. After he got that beating, he became a crack addict, and he lost and kept losing to fighter after fighter after fighter before finally retiring. So, let's do the rundown. Paul Gonzalez, Sugar Ray Seals, Jerry Page, Terrell Biggs. Now, who do I consider the fifth most disappointing amateur great as a pro? I'm doing this off the top of my head, big man. Trying to make this good, uh, Malcolm. I got your four. Trying to think of a fifth. So let's go. We we did seventy. We did seventy-two. Sugar Ray Seals. Uh, nineteen seventy-six. The nineteen seventy-six. Oh, I forgot. Yes, the fifth most disappointing amateur great was the 1976 Val Barker Award winner. The best boxer of the 76 Olympics. Long Island's own Howard Davis Jr. Shout out to my buddy uh, Shannon who grew up in the same neighborhood as Howard Davis Jr. He's a local legend in her neighborhood. I think the two biggest stars from Shannon's uh, neighborhood in Long Island are Howard Davis Jr. and the always sexy and delicious Ashante. Howard Davis Jr. and and Shannon and you... the late great Howard Davis Jr. Personally, she knew his father. The, uh, her family were friends with, 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 with his family. So shout out, Shannon. Howard Davis Jr. should have been an all-time great fighter. He had that ability. He was a tremendous boxer, tremendous counterpuncher in the amateurs. Pro, as a pro, he got three world title shots and he, and he choked all three times. In 1980. He went to England and faced Jim Watt and fought like a zombie as Watt beat him easily over 15 rounds. Then, in 1984, he faced Evan Rosario. Once again, second opportunity at a World Lightweight Championship uh, 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 title. He was winning the fight. Well, actually, the fight was dead even going into the 12th round. And Howard Davis was dominating the 12th round. Looked like he was going to pull it out. And then with less than 10 seconds left in the round, Edwin Rosario dropped Howard Davis with his signature right cross. Davis beat the count and made it to the final bell. But that two-point swing cost him uh, the world championship, the world lightweight championship. And then... July 31st, I believe. Well, it was either July 30th or July 31st, 1988. The Form Master Square Garden, which is now the Hulu Theater at Master Square Garden. He faced Buddy McGirt for Buddy McGirt's IBF Junior Welterweight Championship. Once again, Shannon, in a battle of two of the best fighters ever to come out of Long Island, Howard Davis and James Buddy McGirt. Buddy McGirt knocked out Howard Davis. In the first round And for all intents and purposes That was the end of Howard, uh, Howard Davis' career He made a comeback 6-7 years later 
He should have stayed home. He was horrible before retiring, and unfortunately, he died less than two years ago of cancer. Rest in peace to Howard Davis Jr. So, Malcolm, you got Howard Davis Jr., Terrell Biggs, Howard Davis, Howard Davis Jr., Terrell Biggs, Paul Gonzalez, Sugar Ray Seals. I'm missing a fifth one. Sugar Ray Seals, Paul Gonzalez, Terrell Biggs. Howard Davis Jr. Who am I missing? I did give you five. 72, 76, 1980, 1984. Oh, and Jerry Page. So there you go. So once again, great question by uh, my, my, uh, my brethren there. Now, on to Rafael Toro's question. Another great contributor and loyal listener to the program. Let's see if I get it. I got to look for it. Ask Rob. So, I can't get Raphael's question, but I know it by heart. Raphael wanted to know. Let me, make sure, let me try this again. Uh-huh. All right. This should be it. This should be it right here. Come on. It's not loading. So I know the question by heart. God, Lord. I thought I knew the question by heart. Where, where the hell is this question? Come on. See, this is this is dead air. It's no good. Can't get we can't get uh, uh, dead air. It's not it's it's not it's not good. All right. Um. All right, big man, we're going to have to table this for another time. Another time. All right, uh, Raphael, I'll answer your question on next week because I thought I knew it off the top of my head, and I, I can't find it on here. Lord have mercy. My tweets are unloading. All right, um, I'll cut and paste it and save it for next week's uh, program. So the one question from Malcolm was was uh, pretty lengthy, so I'm glad I answered that question. Now on to my 45th my 18th greatest fighter of the last 45 years in my top 45 of the last 45 years. Oh, before I go to my 45th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, once again, in case you missed it, here's the recap of the Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva fight. As I read I wrote this article 8 months ago on Andre Ward, the 18th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. And here we go. Since its inception, boxing has always been a haven for the downtrodden. Andre Ward is one of the greatest examples of a young man who, have, who overcame severe hardship. As an adolescent, to not only become one of the five greatest fighters of his generation, but also one of the class acts of the sports world in the 21st century. Without a doubt, the adversity in his youth helped to also propel him in becoming the 18th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Ward's childhood growing up in Oakland saw both of his parents become addicted to drugs. Ward's trainer Virgil Hunter became Ward's guardian and helped guide Andre to not only becoming an outstanding fighter inside the ring, but an outstanding outstanding person outside the ring with hunter's guidance ward won the 178 pound olympic gold medal at the 2004 
Athens Olympics. And by the way, Ward is still the last American male boxer to win gold medal. In a surprising move, Ward, upon turning pro, began his career as a middleweight instead of at light heavyweight. Eventually, Ward moved up to 168, and after winning his first 20 fights, he entered Showtime Network's World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Tournament. It is amazing that of the six fighters who entered the tournament in 2009, the odds of Ward winning was the sixth worst, meaning that he was considered a long shot to win the tournament, even though I, with my own eyes, saw that Ward was the most athletic and gifted fighter of the six fighters. I didn't see any way that anyone would come close to competing with Ward if he was on his A-game. Ward's boxing style wasn't flashy or sophisticated. He was a tremendous boxer whose boxing IQ was on the level of a prime Muhammad Ali and Floyd Mayweather. Ward, like Floyd, defensively, defensively would take away your best weapon and make it obsolete. Combine that with accurate counterpunching and a keen ability to switch from orthodox to softball made him an almost impossible puzzle to solve. His opponent, in the, his first opponent in the tourney, Mikhail Kessler, found this out in spades. On November 21st, 2009, in Ward's hometown of Oakland, Ward made the longtime champion Kessler look like a preliminary fighter. Ward made Kessler miss while controlling the fight with both his jab and blistering combinations. An accidental butt caused the fight to be stopped in the 11th round, which, result, which resulted in Ward winning a lopsided technical decision and in turn claiming his first world title, the WBA 168-pound version. Ward put on a similar performance seven months later, again in Oakland against Alan Green, winning in a virtual 12-round shutout. Then on May 14, 2011, Ward once again put on a, vir a virtuoso performance against the Armenian slugger, Arthur Abraham. Abraham's slow, methodical slugging style was completely picked apart by the ring general Ward. Another lopsided unanimous decision victory propelled Ward to the t tournament final on December 17, 2011 against Carl Frotch. Frotch was caught off guard by Ward and Hunter's game plan to fight inside. Ward and Hunter decided on an aggressive infighting style in order to nullify Frotch's long arms and counterpunching ability. Frotch was unable to adjust as he was, as he too was convincingly defeated over 12 rounds. The victory resulted in Ward gaining not only the tournament championship, but the prestigious Ring Magazine 168-pound title and Frotch's WBC title as well. As well, he was also voted the 2011 Fighter of the Year. Ward's next fight is, in my opinion, the single greatest performance of his career. On September 8, 2012, Ward defended his super middleweight titles against the reigning ring light heavyweight champion, Chad Dawson. This was the first time I thought a Ward opponent had a legitimate shot at beating him. After an uneventful first two rounds, Ward dropped Dawson with a beautiful counter left hook in the third round. This was the beginning of a brutal beating that Ward would inflict on Dawson. Dawson missed all night as Ward looked like a prime Sugar Ray Leonard, landing combination after combination. Finally, after another thunderous combination dropped Dawson again in the 10th round, referee Steve Smoker put a halt to the fight.
Dawson was never the same after the war beaten, as he was knocked out in the first round in his next fight while losing his 175-pound title to Adonis Stevenson. At the age of 31, Dawson was completely washed up. Ward successfully defended his title one more time against Edwin Rodriguez before engaging in a nasty legal battle in an attempt to get out of his promotional contract with Dan Goosen. It wasn't until 19 months later that Ward was finally able to fight again as Rock Nation Sports was able to get him out his contract after Goosen passed away and signed on as his promoter. It was also the end of his reign at 168 as Ward moved up to 175. The Oakland native fought three straight times in 2015 and 2016 in his hometown at light heavyweight before signing to fight the WBO, IBF, and WBA light heavyweight champion Sergey Kovalev. The Russian 175-pound champion had dominated division for three years and other than the then WBC champion Stevenson had cleaned out the division. I was very concerned about whether or not Ward had the chin to stand up to the power hitting Kovalev. On the night of November 19, 2016, I found out rather quickly the answer to that question. Ward attempted to try and outbox Kovalev early on, but was unable to get past the Russian's jackhammer of a left jab. Early in round two, Kovalev, Kovalev followed one of those jabs with a thunderous right cross that both dropped and staggered Ward. Kovalev continued to thoroughly outbox Ward going into the seventh round. It was at this point that Hunter and his prodigal son decided to shift gears. Ward began to bully Kovalev on the inside and take it to Kovalev's body as he completely dominated the second half of the fight. Ward won via controversial unanimous 12-round decision to become a two-time unified and ring world champion. Ward also agreed to immediate rematch with Kovalev as a way to put to rest the doubt that many boxing fans and media members had in him earning the decision. On June 17, 2017, both men stepped inside the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay ring in their highly anticipated rematch. As with the first fight, Kovalev controlled the first six rounds with his jab. Ward continued to stalk and work Kovalev's body like he did in the second half of the first fight. Then the unthinkable happened in the 8th round. Midway through the 8th round, Ward landed a spectacular right cross that hurt the usually granite chin Kovalev. Ward jumped on Kovalev and landed several uncontested body shots that resulted in referee Tony Weeks, Tony Weeks stopping the fight. Ward stopped until Kovalev all but erased the controversy of their first fight. Three months later, Ward shocked the world by announcing his, his retirement at the age of 33. Ward, despite numerous big money offers to return to the ring, has never once seriously considered making a comeback. He's content with being a great husband and father. Ward ended his career undefeated with a stellar record of 32-0 with 16 knockouts. He demonstrated one of the greatest ring IQs in the history of the sport. He defeated the top fighters at both 168 and 175. Most importantly, he, su- he survived being raised by two parents addicted to drugs when his trainer and surrogate father, Virgil Hunter, intervened to raise him. That childhood of adversity has destroyed too many young people with unlimited potential. That adversity, adversity not only helped Ward become one of the greatest fighters who ever lived, it also helped him to become an even greater fi- father and husband and my 18th greatest fighter. Of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen. Until next week. Everybody please. Be blessed. And be a blessing.